Everyone agrees that it's important to get the word out about a band's new release or latest video. But how do you do it effectively? Welcome to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the independent record label Kill Rockstars. On today's edition of Music Industry 101, we're talking marketing. What does it encompass? What are the best ways to be successful? We get advice from professionals who also share some of their greatest ideas and most innovative award-winning marketing campaigns. It's all coming up on The Future of What. Can I have a taste of your ice cream? Can I lick the crumbs from your table? Can I interfere in your crisis? No, mind your own business. No, mind your own You're listening to The Future of What. We're talking to Graham Rothenberg of The Syndicate. Graham, welcome to The Future of What. Thanks so much for having me. So first of all, tell us, what does The Syndicate do? The Syndicate is an entertainment marketing agency. We've been around since 1998, and we're focused primarily in music, comedy, and and pop culture. And within those verticals, we do a number of different things, but you know, it all kind of falls under the umbrella of being a premier marketing agency for music and comedy and pop culture. Cool. So for those of us who are just dumb, what constitutes marketing? Is marketing kind of everything? Yeah, I think marketing has at least become everything and it really (laughs) entails a lot and kind of everything at the same time. So, you know, our company is really focused on a bunch of different things, but among them are radio promotion, publicity, grassroots marketing, social and, and digital marketing. And then we also have a relationships with, you know, so many different bands, comedians and record labels and managers and producers. And it just kind of goes through the, the whole list of the entertainment industry. And we work with those people to put together plans for them in those different areas of our expertise. So let's take a hypothetical. Let's say that I'm in a band and I call you guys and I say, hello, I have some money and I would like you mm-hmm. to do a marketing campaign for my band, which is unsigned, let's say. Mm-hmm. And let's say we have an album and we want to put that album out ourselves and we want to hire you guys to do marketing for us. What would you start to suggest with regard to that? Like, what would that marketing campaign look like? Each campaign that we do is very much tailored to the specific artist and to the specific music. So the first thing I would always do if an artist came to me, especially an unsigned artist and and was really kind of looking for some direction was I would say, send me your music, tell me some more about your band, send me your biography, send me some photos, let me understand what this band is all about. And then I can put together a plan that makes sense for for you. And that's really going to be the most effective way to, to market a project, specifically an unsigned band in, in the music space, because it's not just a cookie cutter, copy and paste type situation where you can use the same marketing plan for every different artist that comes your way. You really need to focus on the music and then put together a plan that makes sense for that specific artist. And then, you know, beyond that, I have a great team of people that I work with over here at the syndicate. Everyone's got their various areas of expertise. So I would direct things to different people and, you know, I might go to our head of radio and say, which one of your radio formats do you think that this artist falls into and where could we really make a difference for this artist? And the syndicate focuses on college, non-commercial, radio, alternative, alternative specialty, loud rock. So we have many different radio formats that we're working on. So that's just one example of, of one department. But within that, I'd want to make sure that we're putting 
the artist in the best possible format to succeed. And that's always our number one goal. It's like, if, if, if we're putting you in a good place to succeed, then we have a good chance to succeed. And in the end of the day, everyone's going to be happy about it. So what do you expect, let's say in this hypothetical situation, what do you expect from the band? What is the band supposed to do? What are they supposed to bring to the table? You know, I think the the harder the band works, the harder the people around them are going to work and the more impact they're going to feel from their work. So, you know, with, with especially with a young band, it's really important that they're making themselves available and that they're willing to do things that we ask them to do. So it could be anything from going to a radio station or doing an interview at any time of day, especially if we're going to, it's a, it's a more worldwide campaign. It could be, actually asking them to do some creative content for us and, and feeding us with as much information as possible. So not only the things that they're creating, whether it's things outside of music, I think are really important, you know, whether it's just a day in the life kind of blog or a, a new video or a snippet or some sort of creative content that they're continually feeding to us, it's going to make our jobs that much easier and allow the campaign to have that much more success. You know, also just sharing with us what's going on in their overall campaign that we might not be a part of. Because for, for some artists, we're just working publicity. Some artists, we're just doing radio. Some, we're just doing grassroots marketing for. It really depends, but it's really important if they're sharing everything else that's going on in their ecosystem with us. So whatever tasks we're working on, we can be most effective at. So do you guys have, I mean, I'm assuming like everything else, you would have a range of artists that you work with. So you have some artists who are probably really willing to get in there and and have some creative ideas and think about how to market their bands. And then other artists that are maybe not so active, maybe they're kind of willing to let you guys direct or, you know, throw out suggestions. Do you have any particularly good stories of things, you know, marketing campaigns that have come along where you guys have been like, wow, this is really awesome. This is super fun, like really innovative, just cool. Yeah, I mean, definitely. We work in a bunch of different ways. So sometimes people come to us and they have a fully baked marketing plan and they're looking for us to be the ones that actually go out and execute it for them. And then other times they're looking to us to be their creative partners and come up with creative marketing concepts that can help launch a, a project. And, and we pride ourselves on working really well in either capacity or sometimes it's a mixture of both. But we we try to like leave our ego out of it if it's an idea that somebody has and they just want us to be the executors of it. And then we also try to put on our creative thinking hats if it's something that they don't necessarily have the concept for, but they're looking for some some interesting ideas to market a project. One of my favorite ones that I worked on a couple of years ago was on the Arcade Fire Reflector campaign. And that was an idea that Capitol Records and Merge had in unveiling the fact that Arcade Fire had this new record and it was it was very secretive and, and they, they came to us and utilized our marketing, our grassroots marketing team around the country and we focused on the Arcade Fire's biggest sales markets and then some of the most major music festivals in the country in the summer that the album was about to be released and it was very secretive. It was really about seeding the the reflector symbol out in these areas, but having it have no tie to Arcade Fire. And then as more information started to come out and people started to say like, what does the symbol mean? What is reflector? What is this all about? We added in nine, nine and nine on all of the materials that we were 
we were pushing out, which was September 9th at 9 p.m. when they were going to reveal everything. And then in the third phase of the campaign, it was unveiled that it was Arcade Fire and this was the name of their new album. And that was when the information about the record and the first single was going to drop. So that was a really fun one to work on because it was an innovative campaign that they came to us with. And then we were able to execute it for them as a band that I personally love and that our staff all really personally loves. So we were able to, to be part of something that was really big. And then we were able to see the, the materials that our team was distributing around the country pop up on people's social medias literally around the world with this hashtag reflector and people trying to make sense of what this was all about. And it, it was just really cool to be a part of and really interesting to see it come to life. And then, actually have the album come out and be so successful. Does anyone ever come to you with like a really bad idea <laughs> where you guys were like, Oh God. <laughs> yes, That's not gonna work. definitely. <laughs> and you know, in those particular scenarios, we will try to be advisors and let them know why we think that idea doesn't necessarily make sense. So, you know, we, we want the best for the artist or whoever it is, whether it's a brand that we're working with or a comedian or a label or a showcase or a festival or whatever the project is, we want the best for that project and we, we want to see it succeed. So if we have opinions on, on a concept, we'll certainly uh, insert them into the conversation. We don't want to see something just happen because we're, we don't want to take anyone's money just for the sake of doing that. It, it would, it's not beneficial to us, not beneficial to them. It's just nobody wins in that scenario. So we will certainly say, this is why we think we could pivot from this idea and do something a little bit different and it could be more effective for everyone involved. I think marketing is such an interesting concept because it really seems to be evolving quickly. And it also really, to me, since I've been delving into it, seems to have an artistic component to it that I hadn't really thought about because... You know, for the last few years, a lot of people, well, certainly since the rise of social media, have been saying, oh, you know, the way a band markets themselves is just all on social media. Like, they've got to be on Facebook, they've got to be on Twitter, they've got to be on Instagram, they've got to be on this, that, and the other thing. And that's how you market yourself. But what I've been discovering is that there's often a lot more thought that goes into planning a marketing campaign and a lot more creativity, like you were talking about with the Reflector Project. I mean, that's that's not just a question of getting people to, you know, Facebook something. Yeah, I, I really think it's important when you're looking at marketing campaigns not to just be cookie cutter about it. Those are never going to stand out and they're never really going to succeed in the way that anyone is hoping for them to. It really needs to be based upon an idea that's based on the art that that person's created or the festival that person's put together or the product that they're trying to release or whatever it is. But it's really hard to come up with a marketing campaign for something when you don't know too much about it. So that's like when we're, when we first are having conversations with someone, we always want to get as much information as we can. We want to see what the art looks like. We want to hear what the lyrics of the song look like. We want to hear the content of the comedy album because that's when you're going to get the most inspiration based upon something that's actually meaningful and real to that person's life and career. And that's when you're going to get the best marketing possible. And the thing that's going to connect most with people and with fans. Absolutely. So what in your mind is sort of the thing that you would tell young people who might think they want to get into marketing right now? It's really important to 
look at your creative side. I think that it, it really can't just be something where you're, pl- it's not, it's not about plugging numbers into a spreadsheet or anything like that. It, it really is the, the creative aspect that's going to bring a marketing campaign to life. I mean, you know, it's really, there's some silly things like it's really important to have good writing skills so you can make sure that you're putting the right copy on, whether it's a social media post or a flyer or a billboard or a television commercial or whatever it might be. But you just need to make sure that you're, you're, telling the story in a very succinct way and in, in a grammatically correct way. And, you know, I think it's really important that people try to get the message across as easily understandable as possible and as quickly as possible, because I feel like we're, we're living in a culture right now where things are just moving so fast and people are consuming so much content that you really have to make a splash fast and you have to be able to make your mark in you know, 15 seconds or 140 characters or whatever it might be. And you just can't rely too much on over explanation because people just don't necessarily have time for it. So you got to try to make your mark quick. And how did you get into this line of work? I was the music director for my college radio station. It was WICB in Ithaca, New York, a really, really great radio station Yeah. in my personal humble opinion. But there's been many people that have come out of that program and are in the music and entertainment industry. And I was able to make a ton of connections while I was the music director at the station. But one of them was Sean Landman, who's one of the owners of the syndicate and is a former Ithaca College alumnus and WICB music director. So, you know, I'd heard about him and I was part of his great lineage as WICB music director. (laughs) And that was actually like how I started at the syndicate. And that was uh, over 10 years ago. And at the time I was focused on college radio promotion. And then I've progressed a lot in my role here and focused more in, you know, marketing over the last several years and then really looking at our business and, and how we can develop it and how we can make it stronger and how we can use all the different parts of our team to, to have a really successful marketing agency. Do you have any final words of advice for bands today who are just trying to figure out how to market themselves? Be yourself. I think that's the number one thing is like, look at what's meaningful to you. Look at what you feel like is going to, what works for you. Don't let anyone bully you into thinking our concept is what you should do. You got to, you have to put your all into everything that you're doing. You have to feel a hundred percent comfortable. And and if you don't, it's never going to succeed. So you really need to make sure that it's your own voice that's coming through. And I think really cultivating that voice is really important. And then putting together a good team. And that's not just the marketing agency. It's it's every part of your team. It's the the manager. It's the merch person. It's the, the publicist. It's the booking agent. But you really need to feel like you're part of a family and that everyone's looking out for your best interest and then using their knowledge and expertise to make sure that you're succeeding. That's got to be the the ultimate goal, but yeah, definitely being yourself and putting together a good team. And on that note, Graham Rothenberg is the Senior Director of Marketing and Business Development at The Syndicate. Graham, thanks so much for being on The Future of What? Thanks so much. I really appreciate being a part of it. I'm a vampire. I'm a vampire.
was Vampire by Wimps. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on iTunes. To find out what's coming up next, follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW. You're listening to The Future of What? We're talking to Carly Starr of Sub Pop Records. Carly, welcome to The Future of What? Thanks so much. So on today's episode, we are talking about publicity and marketing. And I interviewed Felice Ecker from Girly Action Marketing and Media. And she said something really interesting, which was that she feels that in the last 20 years, the job of a publicist has really become more of the job of a marketer. And so I wanted to talk to you about like, well, what is the job of a marketer? And, you know, how do you see those two jobs as being different in what you guys do for bands? I would say one thing, I've been at Sub Pop for 13 years, so it's been really interesting to see how things have changed and and grown. The thing that Sub Pop realized that we needed to do a few years ago was have, we created a department called Digital Communications. And in that department, there's just one person who's focusing on social media. And for me, that's really the person who fills the gap between the publicity, social media, and, and all of those things do go hand in hand and marketing. It's almost like it's all the same now, I guess. Right, right. Because really what you're doing is you are, you know, I mean, marketing a band across different platforms and totally. the way the platforms have changed, I guess, has yeah. has made it so you know, Felice was saying you have less of those, you know, truly deep essays about, you know, the heart and soul of the band that's going to run and spin a Rolling Stone. Right. But at the same time, you have 200, 300 new outlets for smaller pieces. Exactly. You know, I think Frank and Becca are publicists, still focus on print magazines heavily, and then regional publications, and then online outlets. And they really work with Rachel, our social media person, getting the same message across. Mm-hmm. So I think she, in a way, is doing more marketing. We're really relying on social media platforms and even Spotify. Spotify messaging, Bandcamp messaging, now even retail platforms all have a marketing component to it. So it used to be that everyone, you know, you were a publicist and that was your job and your, your sales and that was your job. And now it's almost as if every job here has a marketing component to it. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's been really, the lines have gotten so blurry, I think, especially over the past five years. Yeah. That we're constantly having to kind of regroup, shift people's positions and their responsibilities. And for us, the thing that we've been really working on is to not have there really be a divide between sales and marketing and for everyone to kind of work together. Yeah, that is, and that's a really interesting change, I think, in the industry. So how would you describe your job just for people who don't understand what a head of marketing might do? My job, and I think it's probably different from label to label, we don't have project managers at Sub Pop. And so I will work closely with an A&R person, making sure that we're meeting all of the deadlines for bios and photos and have video conversations. And I essentially manage our marketing department which is two publicists, two folks in the radio department, the digital communications department, which is two people, one social media, and then another person who works on the podcast and dealing with videos. And and then I handle advertising. 
So the this radio show, if you're not familiar with it, has a kind of an educational component to it. We're we're targeted largely towards young musicians who are starting out and older musicians who don't really understand the business. And there are plenty of them, um, <laughs> unfortunately, because the business is kind of opaque. It's just not, you know, something that everybody fully understands. Totally. Yeah. So what would you say to young bands in terms of their marketing that they should be thinking of now, even just as they're starting out? Well, you know, one thing that we try to express to our bands is creating great social media platforms and using them, whether you kind of like it or not, even just to at least get the basic information out there and then just playing a ton of shows mm-hmm. and spreading the word that way. That really is what helps us a lot. Playing shows, getting the word out, and then using your own platforms and your own voice and doing things that feel exciting to you. If you like to take photos, like if you're on tour every day, make like a tour blog and, and push that. Cool. So have you guys done anything exciting? Because I don't know if you know about the Libby Awards, which is the A2IM Awards every summer, but we have a creative mm-hmm. marketing category. And there I have been blown away in recent years about the the number of really creative marketing campaigns that people have been coming up with lately. Do you guys yeah. have anything you've worked on at Sub Pop that you've just been like, wow, that was so fun and cool? I think, you know, I would say there's two projects last year that took a lot of planning, like years of planning. And one of them was for sure Sweeter Kinney, the way we rolled that out. We put out a box set of all of their releases, I think last November. And in it, we put the seven inch from the new record. And we, I'm so amazed, kept it a secret. No one knew about it. (laughs) So that really started for the super fans when they got the box set. There was a random seven inch in it and it had the, just the date of the new record that was out in January. Um, and we just let it sit for a while and uh-huh. we just gave ourselves like a week to let people talk about it, to let the fans discover it. And then the following week we posted that track and we announced that the band were in fact getting back together and they had a new album in three months. Right. And to me, that was like one of the best highlights of even working here is just kind of seeing that all come together mm-hmm. and having been working on it for such a long time. And then another one was a really unique, we really focus on album launches and how are we going to let the world know about this new band or this new album? The second Father John Misty album, he performed, the way we announced that was, you know, he performed on Letterman. He performed one of the new tracks and Letterman said, he has a new album coming out on this date. And then that kind of started the campaign. Cool. Yeah. Those are really exciting events to me. And then when we have an album scheduled, you know, we can talk about like, do we want to, how many tracks do we want to put out? How many videos before release date? And then, you know, once the album comes out, it's like, how can we support these people while they're on the road and what other creative things can we do? So it's a lot of fun. It, it gets tricky at times because there's so much out there and, and it's a great thing. But how do you have people make people pay attention is something that we're constantly trying to figure out. Right. And that's sort of the downside. You know, there's been a lot of upsides to the Internet, but one of the downsides is just so much noise out there that it's totally. hard to cut through. And that's I'm sure your job is like, how do we cut through the noise? Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, Carly Starr, thank you so much for joining us on The Future of What today. Thank you.
That was Classic Ballroom Dances by New Dog. You're listening to The Future of What? If you're enjoying this program, like us on Facebook and become a subscriber on iTunes. Stephen Hill is head of North America for Warp Records. Stephen, thanks for joining us on The Future of What? Hey, thanks for having me. So head of North America, I love that title. It sounds like you're the boss of everything. (laughs) Yeah, well, in North America. Yeah, I mean, I I got that title when I moved here. And it's kind of a weird one because it doesn't really mean anything, but, but I'll take it. I like it, though. I feel like I've, I've got a bone to pick with you on several issues. If you're, if you're in charge, you're <laughs> oh, in trouble. Don't blame me. Don't blame me for all that, for sure. Well, I asked you on the show today to talk about marketing, and you're a good person to talk to about marketing because you have actually been nominated twice in a row, two years in a row, for a Libby Award, which is sort of the independent label Grammy Award. In 2014, you were nominated for Boards of Canada's album Tomorrow's Harvest. And then last year for Aphex Twins' Syro album campaign for the marketing campaigns for those albums. Yeah. So what makes you so wonderful? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I mean, obviously, you know, it's the collective that was nominated for the awards, not not just me. But I mean, first and foremost, it's obviously working with amazing artists that, that, you know, have a following and have ideas and have personality you know, because you can't, you can't really do anything without that. Of course. So I think that's, that's kind of the first and foremost thing. And then, I mean, it's, it's difficult to say. I mean, there's so many, so many moving parts and so many influences in a campaign. So I think, you know, really it's about having a great team of people that all have ideas in their respective areas and hopefully that trying to pull all of their individual efforts and regional efforts into a singular story really that people actually care about. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit, tell us what the Boards of Canada Tomorrow's Harvest campaign looked like. So what got you nominated for the Libby Award? The public facing elements of it were a series of of clues. We put five records into various independent stores around the world on record store day and it had a clue. It was very abstract. It had uh, just Boards of Canada written on it, copyright line of that year to kind of indicate it was new. And there was an audio clue that was pretty, pretty kind of mysterious that Boards of Canada created. And yeah, just on the hope that someone would pick it up and share it on social media. And it was pretty... Obviously, it was a, it was it was quite a it was quite a reach, but you know we thought it would be fun. And fortunately, it was someone did find it and someone did share it, and that was the trigger to a series of clues that happened over about two weeks that led to a hack on a website, which then revealed the album title, some music from the album, although it wasn't clear that it was music from the album at that time and all release details and then following that we we kept putting out you know music and various things in in kind of cool spaces and places that were kind of exciting and then you know obviously the record was was an incredible record it got amazing critical response which we were very confident in the whole way through yeah so that was essentially the campaign but it involved the clues i guess what was what was cool is you know there were clues on BBC Radio One, and there were clues in videos shown in big public squares in in Tokyo, and there was a clue film shown live on Adult Swim, and 
I think what was interesting about it is that they were popping up as a surprise in various different places over that period. So it's kind of fun for fans to follow, really. Wow. Yeah, that is very cool. So what did you guys do for Aphex Twin last year? Well, Richard delivered the the album and he had, as his artwork, he had the idea to completely demystify all of the workings of, the, of a record. So for the artwork, it was a series of costs for the album divided <laughs> into the number that we manufactured. So it included a share of, you know, advertising, but also even if someone got a taxi to go and visit a journalist, that was divided into that that sleeve. And like one, thing, I think one thing that I was really proud of was, was actually when that when that went to print. I, I can absolutely say categorically that that was completely accurate. Um, at the time it went to print, which took a lot of effort. Um, yeah. And obviously, you know, after it went to print, it, 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 you know, there were other things or changes, of course. But that, that kind of idea of showing the mechanics behind a release is something that we, that we kind of ran with. And I mean, I guess the, we had a blimp that flew over London and that was probably the most fun, brash thing that we did. A big green blimp, which <laughs> was pretty great. Got some pretty great photos and was pretty funny. Yeah. And it was totally funny to us. I mean, that was just complete Aphex Twin brashness that, right. that we found hilarious. And then we, the other um, core thing is we announced the album through the tour network. So a kind of closed network that, that doesn't have an um, internet browser that you're unable to, or basically it's not tracked and there's no advertising, there's no search engines and all of that kind of thing. So, so that was a pretty unique thing. And we also we're completely transparent about demographics on social media. So if we advert made an advert, we would actually for on Facebook, for example, we actually showed the demographics of the Facebook channel. So there was that thread of demystifying and kind of displaying the mechanics throughout the, the campaign really. Yeah. But you know, both of those ideas, I mean, conceptually they, I mean, Boards of Canada, for example, I mean, all of that came from the band saying, you know, that they they found general campaigns, music releases, like, pretty boring, and that there wasn't really that kind of story and narrative, and, and the album was essentially a concept album about, well, I shouldn't say what it's about, actually, <laughs> but it is, a, it is a concept album. So the whole idea behind the clues was we were telling part of the story of the record. It wasn't like an independent idea that we just thought would hype an audience. You know, it was genuinely part of the art form. And I think that the same with Aphex Twin and the same with other things, you know, like the One Tricks Point Never album from last year as well, Garden of Delete, there was a similar or very different, but also very rooted in what the album was and what the story of the album was. And, you know, I think that the philosophy is as much for the promotion of a record to be part of the artwork as it possibly can be, really. So it really sounds like what you're saying is is that it takes a lot of components these days to successfully market a record. And one of the biggest components is that the artist, you know, ideally the artist is really involved. Yeah, I mean, I think that the artist, you know, you work with a huge range of artists and, and even in the three examples that I've given, you know, the artists are involved in very different ways and different levels. But, you know, there's obviously countless other campaigns that I'm also really proud of that 
you know, artists are definitely not involved. I think, you know, I think that, that there's um, different approaches and different characters to, to promotion, but, you know, really you have to, I mean, there's just so many moving parts. There's so many things that you need to do. And, you know, with Boards of Canada, the clues happened, but the clues didn't happen in kind of one little corner of the internet. They touched television, they touched radio, they touched outdoor, they touched advertising, you know, they touched all of the core parts of the campaign. But, you know, you can only get, you can only do that kind of stuff with, a, you know, a handful of artists really right. that have that type of following. And I think like one of the core things is, is the campaign that all promotion campaigns are on an artist have to be for that artist. You know, you can't shoehorn things in because you think it's cool if it doesn't really represent what the artist represents or what the artist is trying to say. And I think good, successful promotion campaigns always start with a good understanding of what that artist does. So even if they're not prepared to be take a key role in that campaign, you know, they still, you know, you should understand that and treat that sensitively and treat that almost as part of the campaign as even if they weren't interested in being involved at all, you know, or sorry, if they, if they wanted to be involved throughout everything. So I think it's just really important to start with the artist, really. That's such a nice way to put it because it shows, it really highlights another aspect of labels that labels really need to understand their artists. You know, it's, it's a big job to get it fully, you know, and, and if you're just, you know, if you're a label who's just sort of signing bands because you think that they're going to sell, you're not really paying great attention to who they are and who their audience is and who they want to reach and what they're trying to say. Nice little thing to hear about labels, you know, that, that we do have a, a job that we, we do sometimes well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, totally. You know, it's a real privileged position, you know, because for, for a, a musician who has been working on an album for, you know, in Aphex Swin's case, he hadn't released an album for 10 years, you know, mm -hmm. and not that he was working on this specific record for that time, but it's a real privilege and responsibility to be in that position to translate those ideas into the campaign. And, you know, there's, there's such Chinese whispers in these things, you know, you, you, you know, one message might be completely misconstrued. So, you know, it's something that you've really got to take seriously, especially with these campaigns that are quite, you know, not just talking these ones, but in general, you know, ones that are like quite hype driven, you know, it's easy to damage an artist or damage the perception of the audience through those kind of things. And I think it's something you've got to be very keenly aware of and try and treat as sensitively as possible, really, because, you know, they, it's long-term careers. You've, you've got to think long-term as well. You know, you can't think, purely about this single project. And I think that's, that's one of the cool things about, you know, certainly Warp, but, you know, I'm sure many of our peers as well, you know, they have idea of, of the artist's long-term career and, you know, and keeping that eye on that means that you're, you're always, I think, sensible in what you do in the shorter term. Well, Stephen Hill is head of North America for Warp Records. Stephen, thank you so much for being on The Future of What? Sure thing. Thanks for having me.
That was Detroit Trickle Down by Kinski. You're listening to The Future of What? We're talking to Amit Narurkar of Mass Appeal Records. Amit, welcome to The Future of What? Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, we're happy to have you. So you guys have had some really great success with the band Run the Jewels in the last couple of years. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's been pretty fantastic. Can you just start off briefly and tell us how you got involved with Mass Appeal? Did you start the label? Well, no, I didn't. So Mass Appeal Records, it's basically a joint venture between Mass Appeal, which is a magazine that's been around since 96. One of the owners of this other company, which is called Decon, bought it and revived it in 2012. And what he did, which is Peter Bittenbender, he had a record label called Decon Records. He folded that into Mass Appeal Records and he went into business with Nas, who, you know, I would hope. So Nas and Peter Bittenbender started it with Mass Appeal and called it Mass Appeal Records. I was working with him part-time. Actually, I used to be a financial consultant for a number of independent record labels over the years. And when they started that, I came on full-time. I used to work with Dev Jux back in the day, which is, as you may remember, another independent hip-hop label. Of course. That was run by LP and Amici Zoigwe. And it just so happened that we started it. They had just finished Run the Jewels 2, or recording Run the Jewels 2, and they were looking for another partner as well. It just worked naturally because I, I knew Amici for a good 10 years and El for, for a good 10 years. And I, I knew Peter, Peter knew them. So the way it worked was that we were like, all right, this makes sense. Let's do this with Massapeer Records. And I think that's how it all came about. When it initially started, we thought we'd have other releases along the way before Run the Jewels 2 came about, but that turned out to be our first real album that we put out in October of 2014. So it's a great start, honestly, as a first record. Really? No no doubt. And you guys probably got so busy that it's hard to imagine putting out a lot more records right at the moment. Yeah, I mean, that's. I think I have to be honest here. I mean, Run the Jewels 1 was a success. They came up with that model, which is essentially, let's give it away for free. Let's, you know, go direct to fans so we can have a direct sort of relationship with them. And I think that honestly worked for them really well on the first one. So when they came to us on the second one, which is something which, you know, as a conventional record label, and that's how we were set up, even though Mass Appeal as an entity has different divisions uh, within it. You know, they have a film division, they have a magazine, they have an agency, and then they have a pure production company. We also, as a business, which has to be profitable, is a pure record label. It's kind of hard to do a deal with someone when they say we're also going to give our record away for free. <laughs> right. So for us, we, we kind of went in with, you know, a leap of faith. I implicitly trust LP, you know, his instincts are always generally very right. Mike as well, for that matter. So they as a, as, as a you know, a lot of these decisions honestly come from LP and Killer Mike. Um, they generally are the driving force behind all of this. And if they... I kind of trust them and, and their instincts. So we were like, all right, let's just do this. The music, it was, was incredibly good, as you can imagine. And, and, you know, of course, it turned out to be a massive success. But initially, I, I don't think any of us had any idea how far it would go. I think our first week scans were like two and a half, 3,000 records or something like that. It wasn't like, it wasn't like you know, one of those, oh my God, on the Jews too. I mean, the fans obviously went crazy when it came out. But as far as the industry goes, it took us a long time to convince, you know, the conventional sort of distributors and, 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 and record stores that 
look, even though we are giving it away for free, we promise you that kids are going to come out and buy these records. So you need to get these records in your stores and support us. So it was a, it was a bit of a challenge initially, but I think now everyone gets it because we've been doing this. I guess we've worked on this record. It came out in October of 2014, but we started working on it late July. Mm-hmm. You're almost talking about a two-year campaign here on a record in 2014 through 2016. And this day and age, you know, it's very rare that you get to do something. I mean, they just played the main stage at Coachella based on that record, I would say, right? Right. So it's just crazy. Yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. So let's talk a little bit about marketing because one of the things that's so interesting about this record in particular and what you guys have been doing is the marketing aspect because it's a little bit different, a little bit unusual from how normal records are sort of just very traditionally marketed. There's been a whole bunch of interesting things that you guys have done. For example, Meow the Jewels. Right. I mean... Yes, now the Jews was obviously, honestly, it was, it was, it's, it's kind of hilarious. But basically, nothing on this record is conventional because it's not a conventional rollout. It was honestly, even when we set a release date, it was supposed to be October 27th. It leaked on October 24th at 11 o'clock at night. I got a call at 11 o'clock at night from Michi saying we're going live with it right now because it's leaked. Wow! And they literally within the hour. Turned it on. I got read to turn it on on iTunes and stuff like that as well. And everyone came through. And and basically, you know, I mean, we were like, oh, what about first week? No one gave. Sh- no one cared about the first week, as I said. Uh-huh. You just sort of put it out there and, and and did what we had to do. L had this amazing idea of coming up with some hilarious pre-orders, which were you know, apart from your conventional buy the CD, you'll get a T-shirt and jacket. He wrote a bunch of really funny things. One of them was. Pay us 40,000 bucks or something like that. And we will go to your kids, show and tell. <laughs> the other was pay us 40 grand. We'll come to your house and we'll smoke all your weed with you, <laughs> I think. And then one of them was, you know, pay us 40 grand. And, and I'll remix on Jules too using only cat sounds. <laughs> Unfortunately for him, some fan got really excited about it and decided to start a Kickstarter fund. He said, look, I don't want the money for this. And... I'll give all the money away to charity, but I just want L and Mike to do this. <laughs> and when L and Mike heard about it, they were like, you know what? We're going to give this money away to charity ourselves. And, and you know, they wanted to give it away to Eric Garner and Michael Brown's family, which we have uh-huh. since. And they, and they said, we're going to get behind it. So they started promoting it. And the beauty of it was that when he started promoting it, L, of course, being, you know, in the industry for so long, he has so many friends. His friends literally on Twitter started hitting him up and saying, I want to be part of this. So Jeff Blaze hit him up, Alchemist hit him up, Zola Jesus hit him up, Jeff Barrow hit him up. It was like, it, it honestly transpired, that record transpired on Twitter. Wow. <laughs> and, and, and it just went, it, was, it just went viral. And then we as a company, what we did was we did a bunch of real fun content with it. Like we came up with a trailer for it. We did some, some, some crazy, like we took LP to a cat shelter. <laughs> where he auditioned <laughs> cats from Meow the Jewels. So, we, you know, we, we had some fun with it. That was that was what it was about. I mean, it just so happened that all of it was going on simultaneous to when Run the Jewels 2 was going on. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of added to everything. I mean, I don't think our intent was that, you know, we weren't trying to say, and go and buy Run the Jewels 2 or anything like that. It was like, we're doing this, this is funny, and we're getting behind it, and it's for a good cause. And I think that's basically it, that these guys have been absolutely genuine for the last 20 years. Both have had different careers, 
but i don't think they've changed their message from the first day that they that they put a release out it's pretty much been the same thing consistently and they're known for it and i think a lot of people wanted them to win which is why we've gotten the support we've gotten be it the press be it from you know people who are now in position of power at, at agencies or whatever you want to call it but i think everyone wanted them to win and they, and, and you know they gave them enough reason to i think with this record so now the jews just went to a different level you know you had mainstream publications suddenly covering them and talking about it and i think because it was also a very interesting time back then as to when this all transpired and the cause that they were giving it to which was you know as i said the families of michael brown and eric garner you know they went to I, i don't know if you know but they were in st louis for instance the day the verdict came out and they went actually most most bands actually left st louis they actually went they performed mike gave that incredibly moving speech which i think is on youtube of course but mm-hmm. also was covered by you know the washington post so i think all of it sort of you know became this big thing where you know and the jews had sort of transcended it was not only a musical act but they were also sort of part of the social fabric so to say so i think you know now the jews was just a, something that came along and it was funny and that's exactly what they are that they, that they are serious guys but they love taking the piss yeah. out of things and i think it, it, i think if you look if you listen to the albums also they'll have a couple of songs which are like hard hitting so- socially conscious songs and then there's songs where they where they just go all in and they're just making fun of everything and you know saying they're the best and this that so i think that that that's that that's what keeps them grounded to a large extent so yeah now the jewels was a fantastic campaign to work on and then we decided that we can't miss this opportunity and we decided to make vinyl <laughs> and of course you're going to make exceptional vinyl so one of the guys here in fact we've been nominated for the packaging award this year for the the libraries but yes. Scott who's the product manager here uh, has this idea of doing a fur vinyl <laughs> so the cover is all fur which i thought was incredibly <laughs> interesting and with a, with with the paws cut out of the suitcase <laughs> so it's, it's 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 a fun fun project and you know all the money that we made from it including the kickstarter money has all gone to charity i think whatever was left after we did to care of the pledges went to michael brown and eric garner's family and the rest that we get from the receipts of the lp are going to the national lawyers defense fund which basically is a not for profit that covers the legal fees or or gives you lawyers for if if you're an activist you know you get into trouble for civil rights issues they out there so that's what this money is going for as well so i think you know as i said it's for a good cause i think none of <laughs> no one's intent was to try and sell more on the jewels two records and <laughs> now this so happens in the process that it's happening i mean i'm not complaining but that's right. not what our, <laughs> our intent was but that was just one aspect of it i think the other one which is fascinating is has been the actual cover of some jewels you know the, the the hand in the fist uh-huh that that has become like a very iconic sort of thing if you if you go online and you actually look at all the fans the, the insane amounts of artists who are who are fans of theirs who've gone ahead and you know taken the hand in the fist and done things with it i mean marvel comics released three covers with their album art you know howard the duck i think was uh, was yeah did it for howard the duck wow and after that they went ahead and did those other variant covers for all the classic hip hop albums mm-hmm. but the first thing that sort of triggered it was run the jewels that that was fascinating that was amazing actually because it was a different crossover and then 
Another thing that we actually won the award for last year, and this was something which Michi had had come up with around Street Day. We gave we reached out to like forty different street artists, or there were forty different street artists around the world who were big fans of Run the Jewels. They decided, and we had, we, and, and and I'm not lying when I say this. We did not have to spend a dime on this. They, they did it on their own accord. They spent the money. You know, they bought the paint. They went out and the. At this, at that time, there were 30 murals, but now there are 42 of them across the world, which is their own interpretation of the Run the Jewels cover. Wow. Which we termed as Tag the Jewels. That's what we call it. Uh-huh. And there's a Tumblr page for it as well. Yeah. And then, and, and, and from there onwards, it's just become a, it's also got this whole art angle to it. So we actually did a bunch of exhibitions where we, where we actually reached out to these people who have been emailing us or had been, talking to LP or Mike on Twitter and, and give, sending them pictures of, of what they'd drawn or like in some cases had sculpted. And actually they did one in San Francisco where we called it Art the Jewels where you had an exhibition where you sold the art for and gave them the money, I think. And oh, I think some of it went to charity again. We did, I think one in San Francisco, I think we did one in LA. And uh, yeah, so it was just fascinating where you get all, all your Art the Jewels fans got all their art and we kind of did a nice exhibition. And I think if I'm not mistaken, the one in LA last year, Elle and Mike actually went for it as well. So, so yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's honestly been, of course, there is some, there is a lot of strategy that goes on in terms of, of how to capture these moments and, 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 and make the most out of them. But honestly, it's been an incredibly organic sort of way of, of, of doing things. I mean, these things that, that come our way, these opportunities, sometimes we just sit back and, and think and we're like, wow, I can't believe that this is really happening. I think that that's what I really picked up on with Run the Jewels is it's tapped into something that's in the culture right now. And a lot of people got very excited about it. So last year at the A2IM Libera Awards, Run the Jewels won a trophy for groundbreaking album of the year, which was obvious. Right. And they also won, as you mentioned, the Marketing Genius Award. Right. And this year, you guys are nominated again for the Marketing Genius Award. And this time it's for hashtag 12 days of RTJ. Yes. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure, sure. So this was actually a kind of a fascinating exercise. It was the end of the year. I think they were playing. Yes, they they did play two shows on the 30th and the 31st. But generally, you know, you know how the music industry is in the last two weeks of December. It's pretty much shut (laughs) down. All, all people are doing are putting up year-end lists and, and things of that nature. And generally, it's a pretty hard time to capture anyone's imagination with something else. So one of the ideas we had, and, you know, it stemmed actually, so you'll see one of the nominees is, is Vina White from the other hand. They manage our European business. But it was all it was all a play on the 12 days of Christmas, you know, that, that classic song. Mm-hmm. And we were like, why don't we do this? And why don't we give it back? Like, you know, Run the Jewels have a epic song of Run the Jewels from Run the Jewels 1 called A Christmas Bleep Miracle. Uh-huh. <laughs> so you we were like, okay, this is perfect because we've never done anything around Christmas for that song. So we said, we'll take the classic, the classic 12 Days of Christmas story and let's just basically do a contest, which is a pure social contest where you have to share this amazing animated video that we came up with. And every day, you know, you work, you basically give away something, but you do it like the song. So on the first day, you get one thing. On the second day, you get both things. Third day, you get three things and so on and so forth. So the, the person who won on the 12th day 
got all 12 things. Wow. So it was insane. And we basically went all in and thought of every single thing that people don't have. <laughs> like, I think on the 11th day, you got the entire vinyl collection of whatever that exists for on the jewels. And, and there's a couple of things that are out of print that you can't get, like the 4X LP, which is the only place where you can find instrumentals for on the jewels too. Wow. Which are massive, like the LP instrumentals. And yeah. So, I mean, like, yeah, it was, a, it was an incredibly fun idea. And, and our in-house animator, Hector, who's done a bunch of stuff for Meow the Jewels, came up with a really amazing animation, which was, you know, very classic 8-bit video game vibe because Run the Jewels had also put out a sweater called Run the Jewels, <laughs> which has LP and Mike. <laughs> LP, I think, is, yeah, LP's wearing a classic Christmas sweater and that it's from the video from, for that song. But <laughs> even that, that, that sweater they put out was a very 8-bit graphic. So we were like, okay, that's the vibe. So we're going with that classic 80s vibe uh-huh. because the video for Christmas... The Christmas Miracle is also like was a VHS kind of short video. Wow. We've been being shot it. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so we kind of went on and moved, you know, went ahead with that. And it was brilliant because we got, you know, we got pickup in press, which you don't generally get for that time. And, and, you know, once again, it went viral. We got, a, you know, a lot of fans engaged in it. And it was a success. Our sales obviously went up. I mean, as a, I guess that's Christmas, right? But it's not really the sales thing. It's more that we managed to keep our fans engaged during what I think is one of the hardest periods because it started on the day of Christmas and it went through till the 5th of January. Oh, wow. And everyone still were talking about Run the Jewels. And generally, you don't get that much sort of attention on an act. Unless, right. You know, on, a, on an act like us. So I thought it did what it was supposed to do. Right. That's fantastic. Yeah. So it worked out brilliantly. So I'm, I'm kind of happy that they sort of recognized that because it wasn't like as exceptional as having 40 artists across the world make a mural for you but at the same time I think that it was a very interesting idea that came about in a very hard period on a record that again had come out in October of 2014 so I feel like we just kept that momentum going and and what's interesting and this is something which you know which we're working on now which is that you know Run the Jewels were always at the forefront of technology and one of the things that they did and are doing right now is virtual reality we we had a music video that was shot entirely and, and released in the New York Times virtual reality app. There's no other way to see it other than now. It's, you know, it, it, so I think what we did for that is, you know, we also released a cardboard viewer on Record Store Day the other day. You know, so it's, it's, just, it's just very interesting that every, every couple of weeks or months, it's, you know, we have sort of a new approach, a new angle. And, and, and I think it's very fascinating. The VR thing is something which, which we're all very serious about they are actually going to be launching their own VR app very, very soon. There's a bunch of content that's already been lined up and they're going to be doing a lot of things in virtual reality. Wow. <laughs> which that's makes exciting. it, yeah, which, which is, yeah, which is really fascinating as well. And again, it just gives, it gives them, it gives them life. It, you know, it keeps it fresh. You know, we, as I said, we put a record, we put a music video out for a song on Saturday. Again, you know, a year and a half after the record <laughs> came out, so it's it's just it's just it's just very cool that way. And and as I said, the coolest part is that you get to work on incredibly cool things like VR. Like I would not have known as much about virtual reality if I hadn't worked with Run the Jewels. I mean, it's very hard to work in music and know so much about technology, right. which we should know honestly, as technology is something that dictates our industry. You know, it, it would behoove us to actually educate ourselves on things like that, but. You know, unless and until you actually get involved in it, 
you never know. And, and the beauty of Run the Jewels is that they are always there when things like that happen. Yeah. These guys are incredible. This album has had incredible legs and you guys have done a fantastic job. Thank you. So on that note, Amit Nurakar is the general manager of Mass Appeal Records. Amit, thanks so much for being with us on The Future of What? Well, thank you again. I will, I guess, see you at the, at the libraries. You absolutely will. <laughs> see you then. Thanks. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard Wimps, New Dog, Kinski, and of course our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by The Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. For more info on the shows, check out our website at killrockstars.com slash thefutureofwhat. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts and Anna McLean. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rockstars. See you next week. 